Well, if you got your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and open them up to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. Decided to start a series on faith. As I was praying about it, I was trying to figure out where God would lead me during this time. And what's really interesting is the very last song that we just sang goes right along with what I'll be preaching this morning, which just goes to show that God has a great plan. Travis and I didn't plan that out. It just so happened that was a song he had chosen, and this was the message I had chosen. And I just found it out when he was singing. I pointed at the screen. I was like, are you kidding? This is awesome. It's just the way God works sometimes. But I want to talk to you about faith. And the reason why I want to talk to you about faith is we are living in a society of fear. I see more and more people on social media posting the fears of a virus and the fears of the government and the fears of the shutdown and the fears of the economy. And they're sharing all these things. And there seems to be so much fear and so little faith. But I want you to know, I believe God has been preparing us for this. You say, well, what do you mean God's been preparing us for this? Well, I'm going to tell you, for songwriters to keep writing about fear, God must have knew something was coming. Back in 2013, that song that we just sang by Chris Tomlin, Whom Shall I Fear? It says this, Nothing formed against me shall stand. You hold the whole world in your hands. I'm holding on to your promises. You are faithful. The bridge says, I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. The one who, get this, reigns forever. He is a friend of mine. The God of angel armies is always by my side. In 2015, Bethel Music produced a song called No Longer Slaves. It says, I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. The bridge says this, you split the sea so I could walk right through it. My fears were drowned in perfect love. You rescued me and I will stand and sing, I am a child of God. In 2016, Zach Williams came out with a song called Fear is a Liar. It says, fear is a liar. He will take your breath, stop you in your steps. Fear is a liar. He will rob your rest and steal your happiness. Cast your fear in the fire, because fear, he is a liar. In 2018, Francesca Battistelli wrote a song called The Breakup Song, Fear You Don't Own Me. It says, fear you don't own me. There ain't no room in this story. You know she's a southerner. She used the word ain't in her song, right? And I ain't got time for you telling me what I'm not. Like you know me, well, guess what? I know who I am. I know I'm strong and I am free. Got my own identity. So fear, you will never be welcome here. More and more songs are being produced that are telling us, do not fear. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Have faith in God. I believe God has been preparing us for something like this. Well, this morning, I want us to understand the importance of faith in the midst of difficult times. In fact, we're going to look at four scenes in God's desire for his people to move forward in faith. Get that, to move forward in faith. Pretty soon, regulations are going to be pulled back. We're going to be able to have church again. We're going to be able to go to work again. 
We're going to be able to socialize again. Some people are saying, oh, well, there's going to be social distancing for 2022. Try me. We'll see how that works. All right? I've been trying to follow the rules, but it ain't going to last much longer. I'm just going to be honest. Why? I'm not afraid. I'm not scared. I'm not worried. Trust me. The guys here, they're not worried either because they ate the communion bread I made. So they're okay. But you think about it. We don't need to fear. We need to be willing to move forward in faith. So let's take a look in Exodus 14. We're going to begin first with the plan of God, starting in verse 1. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Pi-Hiharoth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Belzephon, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored unto, upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, that the Egyptians may know that I'm the Lord, and they did so. Well, let's just understand a little bit about what's going on at this point. Let's understand exactly what's taking place right now. The people of Israel have left Egypt. They have their freedom. They've now left this foreign land. They've now been given a promise that they're going to attain and have a greater land that God has promised to them. We know that God has spared them, that God has used these 10 plagues to open the door for them to be able to move forward, to be able to do what God has called them to do. God has removed the enemy from them, so they've moved on. But now all of a sudden, God's plan isn't over. He's not done yet. He still has more to do. And so we find here that his plan includes making the children of Israel look like they are trapped, that they're trapped. In other words, God takes them in a route that doesn't make sense. If you have in the back of your Bibles, most of your Bibles will have maps. And if you look in there, it'll actually have a map of the journey that the people of Israel took. They went north up by the Sinai Peninsula. Then they came back down south. It almost looked like they didn't know what they were doing. It almost looked like what? Like men who don't use GPS, right? They're going in one direction. They end up going in another. They're afraid to ask for directions. They look lost. That's exactly what the people of Israel look like. They look lost, but this was God's plan. Why? Because he was setting it up. He wasn't done with Egypt yet. He wasn't finished with them. He still had a great plan. What was that plan? That plan was to finish what he started. The ten plagues were a great start. The ten plagues would be a story that would go all throughout the lands. It would prepare their enemies to know that God's got these people in his hand. But the Red Sea, what they're about to face, was going to be a story that would be told throughout the ages that would stand the test of time and it would prove that God was with Israel. God had a plan. Here's the thing you got to understand. Sometimes God's plan includes putting you in a difficult situation. It includes putting you in a very tough place. In fact, in verse 3, he says, he even tells him what Pharaoh is going to say. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land the wilderness has shut them in. In other words, they're trapped. In fact, the place where Pharaoh planned on meeting them, there was no place for escape. There was no opportunity for them to find help. There was no place for them to flee. God had put them in a predicament that if God didn't show up, they were doomed. So in verse 4, God says this, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. But look at this plan. It goes on in verse 5. It says, 
And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. Now, this is interesting that all of a sudden, the people ask the question, why did we do this? Now, they were the ones actually telling Pharaoh to let them go. Get rid of them. Don't you see what's going on here? After the plagues, they wanted the people of Israel to leave them alone. They saw that it was the hand of God. After God had turned the water into blood, well, the magicians were able to perform the same act. Then God brought frogs on the land, and the magicians were able to increase the frogs. God brought lice. God brought flies. God slew their livestock. God brought fire and hell and brimstone down upon the land. God brought darkness. God brought locusts. Time after time after time. And it didn't take very long for the people said, let them go. Let them go. But now we come to verse 5 and it says, they were turning to each other going, why have we done this? Why did we let them go? Why? Because God's plan wasn't done yet. And in verse 6 it says, and he made ready his chariot. And took his people with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt. And captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with a high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh. And his horsemen and his army. And overtook them encamping by the sea. Beside Piharoth before Bel-Ziphon. So God has set the scene. God has set his plan up. God has put it into motion, and God has put them right where he wants them. He's put Israel where he wants him. He's put Pharaoh where he wants him. He's got all the pieces on the board set just right. Now, I don't know about you. I I play chess, uh, but I'm sure somebody could beat me probably in five or six moves. Uh, I just enjoy playing it, trying to figure it out. But I'm not the type that I strategize three, four, five, or even 20 moves ahead of time. I'm just thinking, what can I get? What piece can I knock off of there? You see, here's the thing. God knows the moves that you and I are going to make before we make them. He knows the moves that our enemy is going to make before they make them. God sees the plan from a greater design. God sees everything that's going on. And let me tell you something. God knows exactly where you need to be, when you need to be there, how you need to be there. He also knows how he's going to deliver you and how he's going to show up and show off. That's the God I serve. He's in control. He's in charge. He knows what he's doing. He's got a plan. Don't ever fear when God is at work. But let's look at the second scene. We see the despair of the people. Look at verse 10. It says, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. The people of Israel show four things in their despair. The first is fear. It says they were sore afraid. Sore afraid. In other words, they saw themselves on the coastline right by the Red Sea. They looked back and they saw the enemy up on a high hill. They could look before them and see ocean or sea. They could look behind them and see an army. They could look to the right or the left and they saw no refuge. There were no walls of protection. There was no city for protection. There was no way they could flee to. There were no caves they could run into. There was no place they could go. There was fear on every side. It looked bleak. 
They turn around and they look up and they see the army and they were sore afraid. Let me tell you something. There are so many things in this world we can fear. And let me tell you what fear is good for. Fear is good for paralyzing you. That's it. It will paralyze you. I'll tell you, I have a fear of snakes. All right? I think most everybody knows that. I have a fear of snakes. In fact, one day uh, when I was at my first church at Forest Park, I decided I was going to go knock on all the doors of the houses around the church. And so I was going to go to the neighborhood Camelot. But before I got to Camelot, there was another little street there that I was going to walk down. And so I was walking down, and I'd probably knocked on five or six doors and, and talked to some people and shared the gospel with them and, and, uh, and invited them to church. And as I leave this one house, I'm, I'm on an all-time high. I'm feeling good. Had a great conversation with the lady. And then I come right up this driveway. And as soon as I step on the driveway, I see this little green snake slither across the driveway. And what did I do? I went, well, they don't need Jesus. Next house. I allowed it to paralyze me. I let fear overcome me at that point, and I walked away. Who's to say what God was going to do at that house? And oftentimes, we'll let fear paralyze us. We'll let fear stop us in the midst of our tracks. We'll allow it to detract from what God has planned for us because we are afraid. And here's the thing. When we become afraid, that's when we need to put our eyes on Jesus. I think about Peter as he was walking on the water. What did Peter do? Well, he saw the storms around him, right? But you know what? Peter was able to walk on water as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, as long as his focus was where it needed to be. The problem is, is many of us are in the storm. Many of us are in that difficult moment. The storm is all around us. The winds are beating on us. The waves are crashing down on us. And we're looking at trying to get back in the boat. The truth is, keep your eyes on Jesus no matter what the storm is, no matter what the difficulty is. Don't fear. Don't become sore afraid. Now, the second thing they did, it almost seems right. It says they prayed. At the end of verse 10, he says, And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. The word that's used here is sah. It means to shout, to yell, to cry out for help. But let's just be honest. What kind of prayer was it? Well, we know it wasn't a genuine, faithful prayer. I wonder how many of you have ever just cried out to God because you just needed him to move, you needed him to show up, and you just cry out just because that's the only person you can turn to at that point. God, help me. God, help me. You don't really have a prayer. You don't really know what you're going to say. But then all of a sudden your prayer changes because you begin to start blaming things and the situation and the difficulties you're going through. Is it really a prayer? They cried out to the Lord. They just shouted out cried out unto the Lord in hopes for help, but they didn't know who they were crying out to. You know, that's the sad thing. When you look at the people of Israel, they're going to fail time and time and time again because they don't even know who they're crying out to. They became fearful. They prayed. Verse 11, they blamed. Look at verse 11. They said unto Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Moses, this is all your fault. Man, we were, we were just fine over there in Egypt. If that's true, nobody made them leave. Nobody forced them out of Egypt. Nobody told them to pack their bags. Nobody told them to plunder the Egyptians. Nobody told them that they had to march with them to the promised land. Nobody made them do anything. They chose to do it on their own. But it was so much easier to blame somebody. I think about that with professional sports. I don't know if you've ever noticed in professional sports, they change coaches 
just like that. It's so easy to immediately blame the coach for the losses, whether there's chemistry on the team, whether they did a poor job drafting. It doesn't matter. All of a sudden, the coach is the one to blame. they got to find somebody to put the blame on. they got to find somebody to charge with the crime. And these people immediately turn to Moses and go, Moses, it's your fault. Why did you make us? Can I tell you something? Nobody can make you do anything. You realize that, right? You say, well, they, they can force me and put a gun to my head. They can't make you do anything. They might can take your life, but they can't make you do it. They can't force anything upon you. you got to understand, the only person to blame for the decisions you make are yourself. That's it. Fear, prayer, blame. Then they show that they were content. Verse 12, is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. That seems ludicrous, right? I would rather die, or I'd rather live in slavery than die a free man. Now, I'm an American. I'd rather die a free man than live in slavery. I believe freedom is worth fighting for. I believe freedom, that's why we are so thankful for our military. I hope you guys know that. We, are, we praise God every day for the men and women who sacrifice so much for this country because our freedom is worth it, and they think it's worth it by putting their lives on the line. We're so thankful for them. Man, who wants to live as a slave? Who wants to? I mean, can you imagine? Hear what they're saying. you got to understand. They're going, okay, we were just fine when they made us make bricks. We were just fine as they made us build their cities. We were just fine when they beat us when they, we didn't meet the quota for bricks. We were just fine when they started making us go out and get the straw to make the bricks. We were just fine eating whatever they gave to us. We were just fine working seven days a week doing just what the Egyptians want us to do. No, the answer is that's not true. They cried out to God before that because they were tired of living that way. They wanted freedom. But when it come right down to it, and it might cost them something, they were so willing to give it up. We see the despair of the people. But let's look at the faith of the leader, verse 13. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you to the day for the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Three things Moses did. Number one, he told them, fear will not help. He says, fear ye not. Fear never helps. Isn't it amazing? I tell you, the, the more we fear, I think it's the older we get as we have kids. We begin to fear when they get their driver's license and they're off on their own, right? We might even get, become fearful when they head off to college because we want them to make the right decisions. We begin to become more fearful of things because we're fearful of what's going to happen to our family. And so we allow fear to dominate us. But let me just be honest with you. Fear never helps. It only hinders. It only takes away from our lives. It only keeps us from being who God wants us to be. Fear never helps. And Moses understood that. Not only did he tell them that, he told them to quiet their heart. He says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And it's interesting, we always think we've got to be doing something. And Moses goes, stop. Stop. What do you mean, stop? We're right here by the sea. The enemy's behind us, getting ready to come down on us. And you're telling us we don't need to do anything? 
Don't we need to go to the left or don't we need to go to the right? Don't we need to do something right now? Psalm 46.10 says what? Be still and know that I'm God. Can I tell you something? If, if God doesn't tell you where to step, then don't step. If God doesn't tell you what decision to make, then don't make a decision. If God is not informing you of which way to go, then guess what you need to do? Stand still and wait. You say, well, what if I miss the opportunity? If you miss the opportunity, it wasn't for you anyways. So often people say, well, I got, I got a great deal on a car. If God didn't tell you to buy it, don't buy it. Oh, but I might miss a great deal. It wasn't the deal for you. You see, that's the thing. Oftentimes we think we've got to make decisions when God all the time is saying, just stop. Just wait. I'm getting ready to show you. We need to know fear will not help. Quiet your heart. Verse 14 teaches us to trust God. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. One of the coolest things for me a lot of times is we're reading through Joshua. And I love to read Joshua, and I love to read the kings. And there were several times in battles that they had that the people of Israel never even had to pull out a sword. God won the battle for them. It's amazing when you think about it. Trust God. God is in the midst of the battle. God will fight for you. Finally, let's look at the power of God. Verse 15. We see his plan again. Verse 15. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore Christ thou unto me, speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea. Divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them, and I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts and upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I'm the Lord when I've gotten my, me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. Here, God says, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go forward. Nope. Could you imagine what Moses is thinking? Lord, uh, see. <laughs> Enemy, see. You want me to go forward? God says, yeah, and I want you to stretch out your rod, and you're going to part the waters. Can you imagine the amount of faith Moses had to have at that point? It had never been done. Nobody had ever seen anything like it. There had never been waters that had been parted. It was this tremendous sea full of fish. And he's supposed to hold up his staff and it's going to split. It's going to dry up. And everybody knows that once the waters part, it doesn't mean the ground's going to dry up. But God said it's going to be dry. Why? Because I'm going to allow your people to go through free and without any problems. Can you imagine as Moses goes out there, he's never seen this before, and he holds up his staff. Now, I don't know, because you got to think about this. Moses was actually a very timid man. A lot of people don't realize it about him. Moses was afraid to speak to Pharaoh. He had to have his brother Aaron go with him. Now he's got to walk up there with a staff and hold it up. The people of Israel are behind him going, what are you doing? Where are we going? What are we doing? How are we going to go? How are we going to get across? Who's going to keep us safe? Who's going to win the battle? We need to get prepared. And Moses is walking up there with his staff, holding it up. And God parts the waters. Can you imagine what that must have looked like? I remember watching a cartoon movie called The Prince of Egypt. And it shows these walls of water. And as the people of Israel are walking through, there's this whale's shadow that comes up across the water on the wall and then turns away. Can you imagine what that must have looked like? It's really cool. I went to a church, First Baptist of Jacksonville, and down in their children's area, they had this little image of Moses standing out with his staff, and it's got two aquariums beside it. It's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. 
And I can just imagine as these people were walking through that water, as it's been parted and the walls are built up on every side, there's probably some people wondering, when's it coming down? Because this is not right. This is unusual. This is strange. But God had a plan. God's plan was not only to protect the people of Israel, but it was to defeat the Egyptians there in the water. Because look at his protection in verse 19. It says, And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And at the camp, it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud of darkness to them, but it gave light by, those, by night to those, so that the one came not near the other all the night. The Egyptians should have easily been able to come down from that hillside and defeat the Israelites. They should have easily gotten to them before they got very far into the Red Sea. But God knew that there needed to be some protection. So the very cloud that had been leading them, the very pillar of fire that had been leading them, now went from in front of them to behind them. It went in between the two camps, the camp of Israel and the camp of the Egyptians. It cast light for the Israelites to be able to walk through the Red Sea. It cast darkness on the Egyptians so that they could not move forward. God was protecting them right then and there, showing that he had their back, that he was going to take care of them, that he would protect them, that he would watch over them. Let me tell you something. The God we serve has got your back. In every instance, he will protect you, he will watch over you, he will take care of you. Look at his deliverance, verse 21. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back. By a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground. And the waters were a wall unto them on the right hand and on their left. Verse 23, and the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning watch the Lord looked under the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians. And he took off their chariot wheels that they drave them heavily so that the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. I don't know what their first note would have been on that. I mean, you imagine this. They're coming down the hillside. They see the waters parting. What made them think they could go through? What made them think that God was going to hold it open for them? How did this not seem like a natural phenomenon to them? They were so blinded by their rage and their hatred of the Israelites, they were going to do whatever it took to defeat them. And the waters were parted. They drove in. All of a sudden, what was dry ground for the Israelites became obviously wet for the Egyptians because it started breaking off their wheels and their horses started getting stuck. And all of a sudden, they realized, hey, The God who protected them is not protecting us. We better get out of here. But then it was too late. Because verse 26, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea. And the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it. And the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea. And the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. What a way. What a story. What a magnificent story that would forever be told about how God parted the Red Sea 
and defeated the Egyptian army. You know, you would think that everybody would look at this and say, wow, that's, that's the miracle of God. That's amazing. That is amazing what God has done. But unfortunately, there are people out there who have said, well, I don't believe it. That story can't be real. In fact, when I was in seminary, I remember hearing a story about how it wasn't real, that it wasn't the Red Sea that the Israelites passed through, but it was a sea called the Reed Sea. I remember we were talking about this, and they talked about the Reed Sea really was only about a foot deep. And they talked about during the dry season, it would dry up, and so they would be able to go through on dry ground. And they said, man, they said, that just proves that it's not a miracle. Well, I'm here to tell you that I think that that actually proves that it's more of a miracle. You say, well, how so? That God could drown an entire army in that much water that were in chariots and horses. No, it was the Red Sea. God set it up exactly the way he wanted it. It was God's plan. It was God's maneuvering. It was God's way. And God was trying to show them and exactly what he wanted came out of it. They feared the Lord. That's exactly. If you want to fear something, if you want to fear someone, let it be that we fear the Lord. When I look at this, I see Moses' faith. I see the people disgruntled. I see the people afraid. We need to be more like Moses. Even though he might have been trembling, he might have been terrified taking that rod up there, he still proceeded and did what God called him to do. My prayer for us is that we have faith in the midst of this virus. We have faith in the midst of all the pandemic and all the, the, the scariness and all the stories that are coming out there, that we have faith, that we don't fall prey to everything that everybody's telling us. Can I tell you something? Stop watching the news. You'll, you'll lose 90% of what you fear if you stop watching the news. Why? Because that's all they want to do is scare you right now. For some reason, news outlets used to be about integrity. They have none anymore. They used to be about putting forth the truth. Now they just want to put forth their own agenda. Man, if we begin to fear what they want us to fear, we will never again walk outside. You know what? Let's just use the virus for an example. I may contract it one day. Who knows? I can't stop it. it may, I may end up being around somebody that may have it, and I may get it. And if I get it, oh, well, guess what? I'm not going to go till it's my time to go anyways. God controls my days. I love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and Travis quoted it earlier. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. If we leaned on our own understanding, man, we would fear everything that comes around. But it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. That means don't always try to use this and think things through. Try to use this and just trust the one who's in control. Man, that'll save you a lot of the problems that you face. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I'm here to tell you, if we can have the faith of Moses... We'll see God do some great things.